Amen. What a beautiful message. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you for your unending mercy and grace to us. Lord, we are so thankful that despite our sins, despite the many ways that we do not follow you, you continually chase after us. You continually want us to embrace your mercy and forgiveness. And this morning, Lord, we pray that we would live in the wealth of your mercy, in the abundance of your grace, that we would find our place following you. So speak to us this morning, Lord. Help us to understand what it is to follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Good morning and welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter 19. John, chapter 19. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the back of the pews. Uh, You can grab one of those and turn to John 19. If you're not sure where that's at, there's a table of contents at the beginning of the book. Please uh, turn there. But it's about two-thirds of the way you're going to find a series of very English-sounding names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, It's followed by Acts and Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Uh, So if you get into those kinds of names, you've gone too far. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're in John 19. Now if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, please, at the end of the service today, take one of those Bibles out of the back of the pew and walk out the door with that Bible. We want that to be your gift from us. We want everyone to have a Bible in their home that they can read and they can study and refer to. Uh, So feel free to take one of those Bibles home if you don't have one at home. Now, I used to be at a church up in Lake Havasu City. Um, And about two years ago, we uh, had the opportunity to to build a new little uh, enclosed playground for our preschoolers. And it was a great opportunity, a ministry opportunity uh, for our church. And one of the things that we decided to do in the midst of uh, building a playground is we thought, oh, well, we'll get a few uh, bean bags for the kids to lay on and, and study God's Word and listen to the Bible study um, in, the, in the classroom. And so we ordered 25 bean bags for our kids' rooms. And about a week later, we received 250 bean bags for our kids' rooms. Yeah, wow. It was a, an error on the company's end, and so we talked to the company, we were like, hey, there is no way we can use 250 bean bags, and they said, well, to ship them back would actually cost more, so they're yours, and we went, ha great, thanks, I think. We had no idea, what do you do with 250 bean bags? Well, we couldn't do anything with them. We, we knew we could you know, keep about 25 of them and, and use them for God's service in, in this church we had. But we didn't know what to do with the other 225. 225 bean bags! I mean, it was a ridiculous amount. And so we ended up piling them outside in this playground area. And for about two weeks, they ended up being like this 
wall that children would run and jump into and it was very exciting for them but we saw serious liability issues with it so we made the decision as a church we had been blessed with all these bean bags and we thought you know what we're going to bless someone else with these and so we reached out to every nonprofit every home uh, you know, the, it takes in children. We reached out to adoption and foster agencies within our area. And we ended up getting rid of about 175 of these bean bags. Just gave them away to ministries that loved on kids and had children in their homes. And then we basically got on Facebook and said, we have 50 bean bags. If you want them, first come, first served. And all of them ended up getting taken. We were able to bless many families as a result of getting these bean bags uh, from this company. Have you ever been given so much of something that you didn't know what to do with all the excess? Have you ever been given so much of something that you went, man, I can't in a million years use all of this. How do I get rid of it? Or maybe the better question is, how do I bless someone else with this? Now I'm going to come back to this story in a, in a moment. I want you to take your Bibles and we're going to continue in our series about the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. And today's passage is in John 19, starting in verse 26. John 19, 26. Now as you're looking for that, let's do a recap of where we've been, of what's taken place uh, in this week in the, the account of Jesus' life. So Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem. He's entered triumphantly. It's the week of Passover. There are many, many thousands of people there to celebrate. And so he has spent the week teaching at the temple about God's kingdom and about what God's desires are for us. And then he gets to the end of the week and he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples and in that meal, it's revealed that Judas is going to betray him. Judas leaves. They finish out the meal. They, Jesus goes to the garden and prays and spends a very uh, intense time of prayer with his father. And then he's arrested. And they have an illegal overnight trial to convict him. He's convicted and condemned to die on a cross. Now, we know why he is condemned to die on a cross. We find out later what the point of that is. But he makes seven statements from the cross while he's hanging. And so we're going to look at the next one today. John 19, verse 26. And it says this. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple... Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So, interesting statement. And I would actually venture to say of the seven statements that are made from the cross, this is probably the only one that didn't have to be made from the cross. He could have made these arrangements for Mary the day before or the week before. But he makes the arrangements from the cross. And I'm going to come back to that idea in just a moment. Now if you read a few verses before this. Uh, I just want to kind of give you some information for just a minute. You'll notice that his disciples. All but one of them are not there. Now why is that? Uh, this passage tells us a few verses before. That just a few of the women 
and the disciple whom Jesus loved are the only ones there. The reason being is Jesus is a condemned heretic. That's why he's dying on the cross. The religious leaders of Israel have deemed him a heretic, a blasphemer, is what they called them back in that day. Now, if you were condemned as a blasphemer, so were your followers. And so Jesus' disciples and other followers are not there because they didn't want to get arrested and hung on a cross also. Because they were considered blasphemers along with Jesus. And so the disciples and the followers are not there. There's just a handful of women that are there to mourn with Mary, the mother of Jesus. But there's also a man that is described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, if you read the book of John, this man is referred to multiple times through the book. And it's actually the guy who wrote the book, John. John, in the book of John, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, there are indications, and I'm not going to go into the details of this, that John may have actually been distantly related to Jesus himself, which makes sense in this passage that he's the only disciple that's there because he is technically related and is caring for Jesus' mother. So he's not standing at the cross as a disciple of Jesus. He's standing at the cross as a fellow family member caring for Jesus' mother. So that's why he's not arrested. That's why he's not um, taken into custody as a, as a blasphemer. He is there supporting the family, basically. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why Jesus gives the care of his mother into the hands of John. is because John is there to care for Mary, mother of Jesus. And somewhere down the line, it is maybe could have been related to Jesus himself. Now, I think this is interesting because this passage is the one passage where Jesus gets very personal. He is not giving this great spiritual uh, statement. He's not giving this big, um, deep theological statement that we're going to gain lots of, although we do. He's basically getting personal and saying, as the oldest son of my mother, I'm going to make sure that she's cared for. And so he gives the care of his mother to John. And John then, it says, takes her and she it lives in his home. He takes care of her. That statement meaning that John, from that point forward, made sure that Mary was taken care of. One of the reasons why Jesus had to do this is because at this point in Jesus' life, his father Joseph has passed away. We don't know any of the details. The Bible doesn't give us any information about Joseph, the father of Jesus, the stepfather, technically, of Jesus. But we do know that somewhere in the story, after Jesus' 12th birthday, somewhere Joseph falls out of the story, meaning somewhere along the line... Joseph has passed. So that makes Mary a widow. And in that day and time, widows didn't have a big system to take care of them. If they didn't have family, they were pretty much homeless and had to go out and beg. And so Jesus, in this moment, as the eldest son of his family, makes sure that his widow mother is cared for. So that's what's happening From a technical sense, that's why Jesus is making this statement. 
But I think there's much more to this statement. Think about this from Mary's point of view for just a moment. Because we look at this from Jesus' standpoint. He's hanging on the cross. He cares for his mother, so he, he makes sure that his mother is taken care of. But think about Mary for just a moment. Mary has been waiting for her son since his birth, since before his birth, to do something great. Think about it. She was approached by an angel. She had multiple people prophesy over her uh, in the early days of Jesus' life when he was still a very young baby. She knew that Jesus was going to do something great. And now what is she witnessing? She's not seeing something that she feels is great. She is seeing the death of her oldest son. That kind of puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? Many of you in this room have experienced the death of a child. And you know how hard and how gut-wrenching and the, the, the mourning that takes place. But Mary is standing at the foot of one of the most horrific torture devices that mankind has ever conceived of. And she is watching her son die a slow, painful death. And in that moment, Jesus, not just as her son, but also as her savior, provides for her in that moment. Guys, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time watching my children suffer. And I can tell you that very strongly today if you haven't heard uh, my youngest child who's almost 18 months old was in the pediatric ICU last weekend and, and basically what it came down to he had a viral infection that was causing him very much difficulty to breathe he, he couldn't catch his breath and so they had him and they were treating him but as a father it's so hard to watch your child suffer but guys as difficult as it was to watch my little baby suffer in that moment, can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary to watch her son not just suffer, but to watch her son suffer to the point of death? That's why Jesus provides for her in this moment. And that's what I want us to learn this morning, is that Jesus in his love will always provide the comfort and the peace that we need if we'll receive it. And so I want to look at a passage in Romans. Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. If you're in John, Romans is just a couple of books more uh, towards the end. Romans 8, and it's verses 31 through 39. And this passage is a great comfort to us. It's a passage that means a lot to those who suffer, to those who have difficulty. And listen to what it says. Romans 8 verse 31 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And it's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, we are, for our sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love will always be available to you. God's love is infinite and perfect and is always accessible to those who follow Him. This passage in Romans 8 promises us that. In the midst of Mary's suffering, Jesus' love was still there for her. And think about it for a moment. Think about that moment in time. In the midst of Jesus' greatest suffering, he still provided love, didn't he? Is Christ still on the cross? No! He stands victorious and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And if he can stand victorious next to God the Father, then he can provide love to each and every one of us in this room. His love is always accessible. Does that mean that we will not experience crisis or suffering or hurt or pain? No. It just means that we have a means to get through that difficult time. Uh, and let me spin that just a little differently. Just because you go through a hurt, or you go through difficulty, or you go through suffering or crisis, just because you hurt does not mean that Jesus' love is not there. Jesus' love does not determine whether we have pain or not. Jesus' love determines how we get through that pain. It's always there. It's always available. It's always accessible if we'll embrace it and live in it. Here's my statement for the morning. Because there's more than just having access to the comfort and the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. It's not just for us. So here's my statement. Here's my big idea for the morning that I want you to go home and think about throughout this week. The statement is this. We get his love and comfort to give his love and comfort. We are the recipients of Jesus' love and comfort so that we can go and give that love and comfort to others. That's the point. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in our affliction so that, and listen to this point, listen to this statement, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Why does God comfort us? First off, he comforts us because he loves us. When I sat in the hospital room with my son, the only thing that I could provide for him was love. I couldn't give him medication. I couldn't give him the the physical care. That was the doctor's job. My job was there to love him as a father. We receive the love of God because he cares for us like a father loves a child. But then we're supposed to take that comfort and give it back to someone else who's in need. Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to ask Josh to come up here for just a second. You may have noticed that there's a bin full of balls up here. And I want you to imagine for just a moment um, two parties... Josh is playing the part of people, the recipients of God's love and comfort. I'm playing God. Don't read into that too far, please. (laughs) But God looks at our suffering, our difficulty, and he says, here's some love. And here's some comfort. And you know what? You need some grace and some mercy. And you know what? You're going through another difficult time. Let me give you some more. It's starting to get hard, isn't it? He needs to stop catching these. (laughs) There comes a point where we need to realize that we've received so much that it's our job to give it out to others. So as Josh has received comfort... And can't hold on to all of it because there's so much. What does he do? He goes and gives it back. And as he gives it, it opens up the door for him to receive more. Is there a limit to God's love? No. Is there a limit to the comfort that Jesus can provide? Nice. Take this illustration for a moment. God has an infinite amount of love and comfort, doesn't he? This bin right here does not reflect God's love and comfort even closely. There's plenty of balls in here, but God's bin is bottomless. It never ends. So here's the question. As we receive the love and the comfort and the grace and the mercy and all of the beautiful things that God gives us, why do we hold on to them and not give them back? Why do we hoard the love and the comfort and the grace and the forgiveness? Why do we hold on to it and keep it to ourselves when God says, I'm giving you this so you can give it out? That's the point. There are people in this world who are desperate for love. There are people in this world who are desperate 
for comfort. And they will do anything to receive the comfort that they so desperately desire. They are so desperate that they'll go and they will ruin their lives in pursuit of comfort, won't they? They'll turn to anything and everything to help calm the pain. But guess what? Every one of us in this room who know Jesus as our Savior, we have the one and only comfort that will not destroy life, but give life. So why aren't we throwing that love to every person that we encounter? Why aren't we giving it back? Why aren't we sharing it? If God's been of love and comfort and justice and peace and grace is bottomless, why do we hold on to it as if there's a limited supply? We need to take this and give it to every person that we can. We need to throw these out to as many people as we can come in contact with. We have the one thing this world truly needs and we need to go and give it out. So how do we do that? That's the hard question. Because believe me, I know, I'm not naive in this, I know that what I'm asking is not easy. I know it's not easy to share your faith. I know that that's a difficult thing for most I get that. Guys, I'll be honest, I'm a pastor and many times it's hard for me. But if my child was dying, I would do everything in my power to save him. And every person you know in your life who does not know Jesus is dying. And they need. It's not a want, it's a need. They need the love of Jesus. That endless supply of perfect love. And so how do we do it? How do we go out and share the love of Jesus with those who do not know him? I guarantee you someone in your life who does not know Jesus, I guarantee you one of those people is hurting. I guarantee you someone in your life who does not know Jesus is going through a difficult time. Pray with them. And I, let, me, let me make a, a specification. Let me clarify that. I don't mean say, I'll pray for you. I mean, go pray with them. Give them your time. I'll tell you right now that to a person who is suffering, time is the most valuable resource on the planet. When... <clears throat> When Declan was in the hospital this past weekend, it was so comforting to have people come and visit. Even when I told them, don't come. <laughs> Give the people around you your time. Sometimes a visit and a face to face prayer can change a life, it can be so meaningful. While Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus took a moment out of his suffering and pain to give his mother the time she needed to be comforted and loved. 
Pray with people. Give them your time. Tell them about Jesus. And let me simplify this. Invite them to church. Invite them to the place where they can experience the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We are coming into the Easter season. Easter's just a few weeks away. It's hard to believe, but it's just a few weeks away. And there are people in your life who desperately need to hear about the resurrection and victory that can be found in Jesus. There are people in your life that need hope. Not just plain old hope. They need the hope of Jesus. And so here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge for you over the next coming weeks. The Southern Baptist Convention is promoting a program called Who's Your One? And it's basically this concept of they want and we want as a Southern Baptist church... We want you to think about who's that one person in your life that you could pray for, invest time in, pray with, and invite to church. I want everybody in this room to figure out who your one is. And I want you to live in their life. I want you to pray with them and spend time with them in a way that honors and doesn't shove Jesus down their throat, but in a way that shows that you care. And then I want you to make a point to invite them to come to Easter service on Easter morning. Not to fill pews. Guys, this is not about numbers. This is about sharing the life-changing hope of Jesus with those who don't know about him. So there's your challenge. You have, as a follower of Jesus, you have received an unlimited amount of love and comfort Now it's time to give that out. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your love and your comfort and everything that you provide for us. Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve it, but you give it anyways. So thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've given And Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would show us who it is in our lives that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. And that you would use us to be the light of Jesus in their lives. So show us who that's supposed to be. Show us who it is that we need to pray with, spend time with, care for, love on in the name of Jesus. And maybe invite to church. Help us to know who that is. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to move into a time of response in our service. And some of you here, may do, maybe you don't know Jesus, and maybe you would like to know him as your Savior. Maybe you need the hope of Jesus in your life. If you're that person, myself and Pastor Josh, we're going to be on this front pew, and we would love to talk to you during this time of response. If you don't want to come down right now, uh, I'll be out in the foyer and Josh will be down here in the front after the service is done. Please, we would love the opportunity to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. If you want to pray, our, our altar is open and we would invite you to come. So let's all stand and let's respond to the love of Christ.